Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the topics of security, technology, society, and human meaning. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that curates tens of hours of reading into a concise 15-minute summary, as well as regular episodes featuring essays, interviews, and book reviews on these same topics. The goal is to provide a weekly, concise, and curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. All right, welcome to episode 348. This is Daniel Meisler. Starting off with security news, Patreon laid off its security team last week, and a former privacy engineer there, Emily Metcalf, said she wouldn't trust her data there. Big yikes on that one. Patreon came out saying it was just five people that were laid off and that the majority of security personnel are still there. But another anonymous internal report said that nobody was left to run the tools. And regardless of how bad it is, which only the insiders really know, you can be sure there's something amiss. When security people are willing to publicly shit-talk you on the internet after being let go, that doesn't normally happen, so something's definitely up. The LockBit ransomware group is using combined extortion tactics to go after victims. So we all know ransomware groups encrypt files and demand money to decrypt them, right? That's tactic one. They also threatened to release the data that they stole after they encrypted it. That's tactic two. And finally, they are now adding DDoS to the mix. So they and other groups like this can stop you from using your data. They can threaten to embarrass you by releasing it and creating a PR incident. Or they can prevent your customers from reaching you via DDoS. So now these uh, groups are just getting smarter about using a combination of these three at different times. They might start with one, usually ransomware, and then move into the others or hit you all at the same time. There's a new attack being called spear mishing, which is where you are a new employee at a company and you get hit with a malicious text message that says something like, hey, I'm the CEO of whatever new company is, and I need you to do X or Y for me. So they know you have internal access to the company because you announced probably on LinkedIn and you now have an affiliation on LinkedIn that says you're part of that company. So they could just watch that employee list and see if you announce it or if you announce it on Twitter or wherever you announce it. And they could say, look, any new employees, send them this message and see if they'll go do this. And oftentimes if it's a young employee and they're new, they're trying to have a good impression and they get a text that says, I'm the CEO of so-and-so, um, they might do that. And they might use internal access to do it. So like, go get this document from this uh, file share, or you know, look up this, or, or do that. Something that requires their internal access. So this is uh, pretty nasty, and something to watch out for. And to warn your loved ones about, they don't know about it. North Korean APT Lazarus leveraged the VMware Horizon vulnerability to attack the corporate networks of energy companies in the U.S., Canada, and Japan. And once they get in, they used a rat called Magic Rat to search for and steal data from systems on the network. The U.S. has recovered $30 million stolen from Axie Infinity by North Korea's Lazarus Group, same group. 
leveraging blockchain analysis expertise by chain analysis and the FBI law enforcement groups were able to seize funds after cash out. So not from the blockchain itself. This is yet another reminder that the blockchain doesn't just leave crumbs. It's actually a crumb leaving technology and criminals are often vulnerable at that last step of cash out. Cloudflare has clarified why they considered Kiwi Farm so dangerous in a separate blog post. And they're calling for governments to determine takedown criteria themselves instead of relying on tech companies to do it for them. I think it makes sense, but in the case like Kiwi Farms, it was obvious that this was way over the line. So it'd be nice to have both, where you have the government actually saying, you know, they've crossed a line into illegality. Therefore, you can or should or must block a given thing, right? You could say that to AWS, you could say it to Cloudflare, whoever controls access or provides access or any services, really. It provides any sort of service to that company. So it would be nice if the government did it, but when it's so obvious, why not just do it yourself? And in the case of Kiwi Forums, yeah, it was obvious and they could have done it a lot earlier. The Anti-Defamation League Center on Extremism published a report this week on the Oath Keepers organization, which has the stated purpose of getting more members into positions of influence within law enforcement and government. Specifically, the COE group published research showing how many known members are actually cops in the military or are either in or are running for public office. And it was something like 370 people. So it was, it was quite a lot of penetration into um, the exact thing that they're trying to do, which is public influence. Microsoft is warning about Iranian APT group Phosphorus, which is known to quickly adopt new vulnerabilities into its tool chain. They say the main workflow is to look for internet-facing flaws in Exchange, Fortinet, Log4j, etc., and to scan the network once they get in to collect credentials and then to establish persistence using scheduled tasks. And from there, they asked for an $8,000 ransom around two days after getting in. And Cisco has released patches for three different vulnerabilities at highest level of high. Benchmark your cloud configuration in minutes with Jupyter One. See how your configuration compares against CIS Foundation's benchmarks in just a few clicks. Once integrated with your cloud platform, Jupyter One automatically benchmarks your configuration against CIS best practices, giving you greater understanding of how to improve your configuration and security posture. Learn more at jupyterone.com slash unsupervised learning. Technology news. T-Mobile is rolling out 5G internet in 64 cities in the northeastern United States, including New York City, Boston, and Philadelphia. Somewhat related fun fact, I have 5G plus AT&T in my town. And when I'm at the bank and anywhere around that vicinity, I constantly get around 650 megabits per second. That's mobile speed, not wireless, which is almost as fast as my gigabit wired ethernet at home. Just ridiculous. 650 megabits. And we've entangled two atomic clocks for the first time, which uh, makes me wonder if we're finally going to get the Ansible from Ender's Game. 
Or maybe that was Speaker for the Dead. I can't remember. Human news. Finland's use of wind and nuclear will bring them to energy sufficiency within one to two years. Scientists have found mutations in the blood of 14 NASA astronauts that did space shuttle missions between 1998 and 2001. And this is because astronauts are exposed to tons of extra radiation because they're outside the protection of Earth's atmosphere for so long. And San Francisco has unanimously decriminalized psychedelics like psilocybin and ayahuasca, making them the lowest priorities for law enforcement. Seems like a formality, though, given how little prosecution there is for much harder drugs. Seems like it's already a lower priority. But maybe they're just formalizing that. Content ideas and analysis. There are no pilots. Evidently, a significant part of airline delays today is due to a lack of pilots. This seems to be exacerbated by pilots being laid off during the pandemic, combined with the military training fewer pilots because they're moving to drones. Combine these and you have a massive pipeline problem. And it struck me that the U.S. and much of the world seems to have pipeline problems in many fields. And cybersecurity definitely comes to mind. I think a big part of it is that it's not clear whose problem this is. You know, for, for pilots, for cybersecurity, maybe nursing is doing okay, I'm not sure. But is it the job of secondary schools, universities, industry? Probably all the above. But if any problem is everyone's problem, then it's nobody's problem, right? Or at least in a society that's not cooperating very well at the time, which ours definitely isn't. The West seems to have a lot of these shared investment problems right now. Entities are too short-term focused and or angry at the other guy to want to support programs that require investment now to see shared benefit in the future. And meanwhile, China could throw up a 10-story building like a hot dog stand, I think in something like 18 hours. Yeah, crazy. Next idea here, working versus working hard. So I'm intensely curious about the conjoined phenomenon around the great resignation, quiet quitting, and companies going after passive workers. We see this with back-to-office policies as well, where managers can't wait to get people back into an office where they can monitor them, essentially. I find it interesting because I think two things are happening at once. First, I think many companies are so broken that they can't clearly articulate what they're doing. They don't have a clear mission. They can't articulate their goals. And they definitely can't articulate how a given employee's work is actually helping with those goals. So it sucks to work there. Now add pandemics, remote work, and rising depression overall, and you have a lot of checked out employees. Then on the other hand, you also have a lot of people who look good on paper, but who either aren't able to or aren't willing to put in the work. So they're using all these truths as an excuse to phone it in. So we have two simultaneous realities. Crappy work that people should quit and crappy employees that should be fired. From the business perspective, I think it should be okay to demand that employees are 100% energetic and committed. And to filter for that, both before and after hiring. But at the same time, I think from a market perspective, 
It makes a company a lot more attractive if they can articulate their vision and story, not just during onboarding, but constantly. It's a hard time for companies right now. You have to be fluffy enough to be attractive, but they're learning that being too accommodating attracts and retains the wrong kind of people. And I'm personally just very torn about this. I, I feel like there's something to be said for a company saying, look, we only want the best and we only want the best who are fully committed. In fact, that's how we define the best. It is someone who is highly energetic, comes in, spends extra time. You know, I feel good about saying that is an okay statement to have for a company. Maybe I only feel that way about small companies though, where the mission is clear, you have a direct connection to management and it's functioning like a team. I feel a lot less good about saying something like that at a giant tech company, for example, where there's so many layers of management, the managers are often checked out. They're often just, you know, playing the E-Trade game. They're often just micromanaging. They often can't do the job as well as their employees anyway, and never could. And it's like in that kind of a situation where it's kind of broken and gross and bureaucratic, I don't feel good about that type of management saying to their employees, you know, you've got to be over committing. You've got to be spending extra time at the office. You have to make this your life. It feels really gross and really bad. And I think the fact that I think both of those at the same time, and both of those are true, the, the question then becomes, well, which company are you working at? Are you working at the first one where it's okay to ask for extra and above and beyond, or you're working at, you know, just a mill or a bureaucratic giant beast that can't actually get anything done and where everyone's already checked out, including management. And they're just, uh, you know, they just want to watch everyone and monitor everyone and get promotions based on how well they're controlling their people or whatever. So I, I feel hundred percent both sides on this. I, I feel like employees are right to be pissed off at that type of environment and employers are right to be pissed off if they are doing all the right things and you still have workers coming in who are just looking for stock. They're just looking for tons of pay. They want to over index on the life work balance and really not get all that much done. And, uh, complain about it while they do. So that's where I'm currently at on this one. And I would love to hear any comments. Notes. So, uh, we have two Stephen Pressfield books assigned for this month's book club, but I read like five of them. I read pretty much everything he's written nonfiction. They're short and my absolute favorite so far, besides the war of art, which I think is the original was, uh, do the work. And, uh, it's actually going to be the recommendation for the week as well. Highly recommended. Uh, it's fantastic. So what I recommend is you read war of art first, then do the work, then put your ass where your heart wants to be, which is his latest book that just came out, which is why we're reading it for book club. And it's Apple religion season for me, which means I'll be camping soon. Um, this time it will be for two Fridays in a row. This coming Friday for the iPhone 14 Pro and next Friday for the Apple Watch Ultra. 
in the new AirPods Pro 2. Most excited actually about the Ultra Watch. Um, not just an Apple guy, but I'm also a watch guy. So I'm really happy with how chunky this one is. Plus it has the larger, completely flat face, which just makes it more watchy to me. And uh, yeah, I don't have much religion in my life. So Apple is my replacement for that, clearly. So I camped for the iPhone in 2007 and I haven't missed a single camp launch yet since 2007, including when I had to go give a talk, given a security talk, I think in, I don't know where I was, New Mexico or someplace, uh, Texas. I was in Texas, I think. And, um, I had a talk at nine and the AT&T store opened at eight. So I went in, got my brand new phone and accessories or whatever, and went and did my talk. It was, it was awesome. And, uh, if anyone wants to come make fun of me in line, I will probably be at my favorite go-to store, which is the Burlingame store. And I'm combining the free and member newsletters into a single edition for the time being and using MailChimp's dynamic content to create sections that only UL members can see. So creating two versions is actually pretty hard. It's a significant time and effort to duplicate, but not duplicate. You got two versions going out. It's, it's harder than I thought it would be. And, uh, anything that you do as a content creator that takes away from the content itself, because you're managing the meta of it, highly recommend you minimize that. So I am, I'm definitely going to minimize this and combine them for now. And, uh, hopefully with the big UL changes coming soon, which, uh, I'll, I'll talk about in more detail in coming weeks, I'll be able to break those out again. Uh, hopefully cause I'll have someone doing it for me. And, uh, then we'll also be able to have not just the news and analysis episode going out to members every week, but other member content as well. And I cannot wait for that. And we'll give you updates as soon as I have them. And I'm building a mobile app around eudaimonia. We'll start a thread about it in the UL Slack channel, but, um, I have most of the backend logic and, uh, got a bunch of mockups and everything pretty much really far along. And I'm about to go and find a developer. So if you know any mobile developers that are really good at health related things and, or know how to make really good looking apps, I would appreciate a tip. And I tweeted out that I got my Omicron booster last week and my flu shot on the same day and got immediately targeted. The first reply came within like a minute or two by a disinformation nut job. And, uh, what kind exactly <laughs> these folks didn't just believe COVID was a hoax. That would be too mainstream. No, they believe that all viruses are a hoax. And one of them is a doctor. I think she's like a practicing doctor. And the other one is heavily medically trained. And this was a potent reminder that batshit ideas can easily override any previous logic, education, or training in a vulnerable mind. So don't think that knowledge protects people, including yourself. I mean, I always look at myself like this. I'm like, wow, that person is super dumb or that person is clearly biased. And you have to ask yourself, and I ask myself this all the time, how do I know I'm not suffering from the same thing or a similar thing? And that is really useful to do when it comes to strange beliefs 
held by smart people, which both of these nut jobs, in my opinion, um, are clearly very smart. Discovery, threat hunting, sandbox scryer, an open source tool for producing threat hunting and intelligence data from public sandbox detonation output. It leverages the MITRE attack framework to organize and prioritize findings, assisting in the assembly of IOCs, understanding attack movement, and hunting for threats by hybrid analysis. Detection engineering, threat hunting based on ZIPS, ZIPS, Z-I-P-F, ZIPS law, strange word, a brilliant application of ZIPS law, which is normally used in NLP applications to find anomalies in security-related events by Demetrius Trinza. Hedonic versus eudaimonic happiness, good articulation of the two primary types of happiness that people pursue and confuse. How to draw anything? Someone used stable diffusion to go from a 10-year-old's crude art concept to a hyper-realistic sci-fi scene. And they basically just gave it the crude sketches, and it came back in various iterations with better and better art. And this person just did this over and over, and they ended up with this, like, they could absolutely win awards with this thing. And it started with uh, silly sketches. Just grep. GNU grep team is telling us to stop using egrep and fgrep. It's all built into grep now. Basically just use grep switch capital E and grep switch capital F respectively. So you want to be a writer? If it doesn't come bursting out of you, don't do it. That's what this is saying. I'm not sure I agree, but compelling to read about. OSCP tips and tricks. The most regretted and lowest paying college majors. Really looking forward to this Amazon series called The Peripheral, based on William Gibson's book. And Vulnerability Management for Go. And that brings us to the recommendation of the week. If you are a creative person who struggles with starting and finishing projects, read Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. The book is called Do the Work. And the aphorism for the week is also by Stephen Pressfield. Quote, be cautious because research can easily become resistance to getting real work done. Be cautious because research can easily become resistance to getting real work done. Stephen Pressfield. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.